Good morning. Uh, some of you may not know this about me, but my in my professional life, I visit churches, lots and lots of them. So most of the time, I am actually at different churches on a Sunday morning, and it's good to be home. And I'm so glad that Mark uh, thanked our worship team. You know, one of the ways I sort of think about how well a church is doing is by um, what sort of prayer goes on before everybody gathers. And I need to tell you, it's good to be home and to see a church that prays, a worship team that prays before we get here. It's extraordinary. Thank you. And we need that. I also want to say, um, you know, we have probably, I think, the best preacher in the world here in Mark Pomery. And he's now having an awkward moment. (laughs) Now, I'm not saying this to pump his ties up. But, um, you know, again, I hear a lot of preaching in a lot of churches. And, uh, Mark, thank you on behalf of all of us. Because he is getting better and better. But the better and better comes with an investment, right? And, and week after week, Mark invests in us as a community. And he's shaping all of us in Jesus' name. And, and you know, there's something to really uh, want to appreciate you, Mark, when you stop talking and you... <laughs> he's having his own awkward moment here. So I'm going to look you in the eyes and say thank you. Most of us will never know what kind of investment it takes to be the pastor of a church and to stick it out for the long haul. And so thank you, Mark, for doing that, um, for setting an example to all of us. And I say that this morning because this message actually feels a little bit heavy. Sorry to put a downer in the morning. We've had our share of jokes. There's one more to come. There's only one (laughs) coming. (laughs) But um, I was thinking about what it means to be a church. And part of the responsibility is to do something with what we hear, isn't it? I have been, I'm I'm very old, and I have been to many, many church services through my life, and I have listened to more sermons than than some of you are in your actual age. Um, And and I have to be honest and say, not a lot of them have changed my life, to my own shame. So what does it mean to not only, you know, so as a preacher, you do lots of work, but actually I think as a congregation, we also have a responsibility, don't we? In, in, in James, uh, Jesus, uh, James talks about one of the apostles, he talks about if you just go to church and you walk away, it's like looking in the mirror and not really seeing yourself. Every Sunday morning we get together as a community and we get to look into the face of Jesus together. We get to celebrate life together, we get to support one another on our way to becoming more and more like Jesus. That sounds like a great road trip, doesn't it, to be a part of? And comes with a whole lot of expectations. So let me just... Uh, lay a few of them to rest for this morning, because you can't cover everything there is to say about restoration. So we're going to talk about a particular story that'll give us a particular frame. But I want to talk about restoration in the sense of former glory. We were made to have glory, and it's been taken away. And Jesus is the way to get back our former glory. That's what we're going to be talking about. So when I think about the word restoration... Some of you men will probably think about cars, restoring cars. Um, I think of houses. (laughs) I love watching, do you like watching all those home renovation shows? Absolutely love them. But my favourite one of all time is this little one here called uh, Hometown. This is um, Ben and Erin Napier. They're so cute, aren't they? They're a real hipster couple from Laurel, Mississippi. And why I love this particular show is because these people are not just motivated by Uh, grabbing a cheap house, renovating it, flogging it off and making a whole lot of money. They're not flippers. 
what they are is they, they have this sense that um, small towns in America are dying. The infrastructure is really poor. That sense of community and neighbourhood is being lost. So families come to them. They choose a house. They restore the house to its former glory and they gift the house back to, the, to, to this family. And then they welcome the family into the neighbourhood. So it's much more than just people getting a nice house. There's something in our heart that longs for that, isn't it? Restored to a place where there's good community, good family, where it's good to be, that real sense of goodness. And, and, and I really love that show. Yeah. So what does it mean when we think about former glory, restoring a home to a floor, former glory? We've got a picture of that. What does it mean to have our lives rest- restored to former glory? Well, we just need to, before we get into the story today, I need to do a little bit of a backfill, I suppose, and be clear about what I mean by former glory. And I always go back to Genesis, to the story where God made man and woman in the Garden of Eden. And I love to imagine what that must have been like. If you had met Adam and Eve, what do you think they look like? My impression of them is that they would have been glowing, full of the light of God, just glowing. And then there's that moment where sin enters and the lights go out. They lost the glory of God. Because when sin enters, darkness enters, all the light goes out, doesn't it? And so then God has a plan to restore humanity to our our former glory. And Jesus reverses that process. Where Jesus comes in, light of the darkness is displaced. And we have the opportunity to be restored to our former glory. That's the restoration work of Jesus. That's the restoration project pushing the darkness out of our lives into the light. So we're going to to walk through a story um, where Jesus is doing the work of restoration, but since this story goes back 2,000 years, I felt like we needed a bit of a tour guide to help us. So I want to introduce you to a person called Saint Ignatius. Here he is. He's got a bit of a glow going on above his head, so he must be holy, and there must be lots of... uh, He's Catholic. There's lots of light in him. Um, But I just... Yeah, this man, is. I find him very, really helpful. St. Ignatius. And it's such a great name, isn't it? St. Ignatius. In fact, it's such a good name, I thought it would be a great name for a chicken. So... Real chickens of Kensington, Mark Pomeroy's little brood here. I reckon it's about time those chickens got some religion in there. So uh, the next, I'm offering today to buy the next chicken that goes into the hen house, and it's going to be called St. Ignatius. Do you like that? Now, Jared Beanie, not to be outdone by this stroke of creativity this morning, uh, also decided it would be really fun to sponsor a chicken. And so the next chicken that's going in after St. Ignatius is Mark Poultry. <laughs> There's a bit of a preaching chicken going on there. You can even see the little microphone when you look. Um... <laughs> All right, that was your one joke. So <laughs> it was good though, right? <laughs> I worked out on that. So, all right, so let me pull this back in. What, what has St. Ignatius got to do with chickens and names and things like that? Well, St. Ignatius was, um, was a big believer in imagination. That's where this stuff comes from, right? You're sitting there and you engage your imagination, all kinds of random thoughts come into your head, like, St. Ignatius, we better flip the slide now, thank you. Get back on track. <laughs> Let's go back to St. Ignatius, there we go. Pull it back. 
So St. Ignatius believes that, that one of the ways, he wanted to really help people to engage with the Word of God, not just to wait for a pastor or a preacher to tell you what to think, but actually how do we help ordinary, those of us who are ordinary people to engage in the Word of God? And he believed that God speaks to us through our imagination. So he came up with a way of helping people to, and he, and he said, you, what you need to do is find a story in the Bible, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, with all of the stories of what Jesus did. And you, you choose a story and you enter into that story in your imagination. And you acknowledge that God is present as you're doing that. And then you, allow, you read the story a couple of times and then you allow Jesus to speak to you about what's going on. Have you ever tried that? You might have stumbled across this. It's a great thing to do. Insert yourself into story. You could you you imagine what's going on. You might think, which character do I want to think about? I might look at what Jesus is doing and look at the story from Jesus' perspective, or look at the story from a crowd's perspective. Imagine yourself in the crowd, up a tree. All these kinds of things, and it brings the story to life in a fresh way. And that's what I want to do today with this story from Mark. So if you get your Elevator app out, we've got this great app where you can follow in the, in the, um, on your phone or we're going to have some of the Bible story on the screen here. So this story comes in Mark chapter 2. It's a story where Jesus heals a paralysed man. Let me just give you a little bit of a backstory. Mark is a really fast-paced book, just like our own Mark. He's very fast-paced, right? Just... <laughs> and so the other way... The other... Um, uh, um, good thing about going slowly with your imagination is that actually Mark, Mark's gospel just jumps from miracle to miracle to miracle. So this time we're just stopping and we're going slow to say, what's actually going on here? Jesus had been going around the villages preaching and healing, telling people that God had sent him to bring glory back to people, that there was a way that you could have hope. He was settled in a town called Capernaum. It's a fishing town. There's about 1,500 people living in this town. And you need to kind of imagine what it must have been like to have been living 2,000 years ago in a fishing village of 1,500 people. Pretty basic life. None of the advantages that we have. Basic housing. Um, you had to work really hard to get your food. You had to work really hard to support your family. And there was a Roman occupation, so there was people pushing you down. Not a lot of hope. So if you got sick 2,000 years ago, you didn't live very long and you died. If you were like this paralysed man, you were a major drain on the people around you because everything had to be done for you. I don't know about you, but I find that quite hard to relate to and quite confronting. So how are we going to relate to this story? Jesus has been, when we, when we reach the story, Jesus has been out. So he, he moved to Capernaum, then he went out for a little while. He went out to all the other villages and towns and he was preaching and healing. And then he gets back to Capernaum. Let's read the first part. Jesus went back to Capernaum and a few days later, people heard that he was home. Then so many of them came to the house that there wasn't even standing room left at the front door. Jesus was still teaching when four people came up carrying a crippled man on a mat. But because of the crowd, they could not get him to Jesus. So they made a hole in the roof above him and let the man down in front of everybody. Who's heard this story before? Lots of us, right? You get this, get the, try and uh, get the picture in your head. A house absolutely chock-a-block full of people. 
Jesus there teaching. And up come these four guys. They hear the news. Jesus is back in town. This is this one guy's chance to be healed. There is no other hope for him. There's no medical intervention. There's no surgery. There's no hospital. This is his one shot at getting healed. I imagine he would have been absolutely desperate to get to Jesus. And his friends were clearly very determined to get to Jesus. But when I imagine this story, I also notice that there are people determined to keep them out. I find that a bit troubling to think about. So what do you do when you can't get in to see where Jesus is? Well, these friends get quite creative. They're not going to let a crowd stop them from getting to Jesus. Now, in those days, a house wasn't like ours, and, and there would have been steps at the side where you could have climbed up and got onto the roof. And whether it was straw or tires, we don't really know, but it wasn't that hard to, well, it was hard, but awkward, to get the crippled man up the side steps, up onto the roof, and then lift the part, the roof things, uh, you know, all the stuff on top of the roof to actually lower the man down. I, when I imagine this scene, I think there's quite a lot of noise going on. People pushing and shoving to hear Jesus and then hearing this thump, thump, thump on the roof. <laughs> Suddenly, think, you know, dirt probably falling down. And then here comes this guy out of nowhere and then people getting pushed out of the house again because where is this guy going to go? He's like <laughs> massive crowd surfing. So no. <laughs> There's two jokes today. <laughs> I reckon there's, you know, at, at, there's a moment where it gets really quiet and all of a sudden everyone goes, oh, what's going to happen next? Everybody knows what Jesus does. He's talking about the kingdom of God and his healing. So this has got to be an opportunity for healing, right? What's the first thing that Jesus does in this, do, does in this story? It's not healing. He looks. Jesus saw the faith of the four friends. Jesus looks and he sees and he sees more than we see. And then Jesus speaks. When Jesus, this is verse 5, when Jesus saw how much faith they had, he said to the crippled man, my friend, your sins are forgiven. So unexpected. That is not what you expect, is it? You expect Jesus to, to look at the man and to say, my friend, be healed, get up and walk. But no, he says, your, friend, your sins are forgiven. Imagine the faces of his friends. You'd be, you'd be seriously upset, would you not? You've gone to a whole trouble of getting this guy up the stairs and lower him down the roof, and you expect the healing. And Jesus just says to this guy, my son or my friend, your sins are forgiven. I'd feel pretty ripped off about that moment. <laughs> they thought they were bringing their friend to be healed. But actually what was happening is Jesus was giving everybody present the opportunity to be restored because he sees more than we see. I also imagine the paralysed man's face. Can you imagine lying there and everything in you is hoping to be healed and Jesus looks at you and says, my friend, your sins are forgiven. 
I, like, I wonder if he got it immediately or whether it slowly dawned on him. For those of us who've been Christians, we've given our life to Jesus. Can you remember that first moment where it felt like Jesus looked at us and said, my friend, your sins are forgiven? Do you remember that? It's good to remember, isn't it? Do you remember that immediate sense of lightness? Like you could breathe again? That life and hope could start again? That things could change? I wonder if he got it immediately or whether it just slowly dawned on him. I wonder, if, I wonder why Jesus didn't just outright heal the guy first. And I wonder why Mark puts this story so early into his gospel. This is one of the very first miracle stories of Jesus. And here's what I think why. It's because Jesus could have just said to him, my, you know, my friend, just get up and walk. But the man would have walked away, um, yes, walking, but not fully restored. And here's why. Because 2,000 years ago, if you were sick, people automatically assumed that either you sinned or your family sinned. So you deserve to be sick. See, sickness was associated with shame. So for Jesus to look at this man and say, my friend, your sins are forgiven, he took away his shame. So that when he got up and walked, he could walk completely free. That's restoration. Jesus takes away our shame. He was, Jesus released uh, the shame that had become attached to him. He was able to get up and walk with his head held high. Do you know what sin does to us? My friend has this great way of explaining it. When, when we are free, we live open, upright lives, don't we? You can stick your head up. When you're full of shame, you can stand up, but everybody can see it. We can all see it in each other. It's a bent will. You can't lift your head up. You've got to hold things in. You've got to find ways to cover up the sin and the shame. Jesus says to all of us, my friends, your sins are forgiven. You can be restored. We skip to verse 12. We read this. The man, Jesus then says, to, so he takes away his sin and then he heals him. The man got right up. He picked up his mat and went out while everyone watched in amazement. They praised God and said, we've never seen anything like this. We've never seen anything like this kind of restored life. This is, this is a question that's bothered me all week as I keep imagining myself into this story. This is the hard work part. And if I look a bit, it's because I'm still trying to, like it's really got to me this week, this story. Because the question, so when, we, when you're using this kind of imagination in the story, you're asking Jesus, Jesus, what do you want me to see in this story? What are you talking to me about? What is my response to you? And Jesus has been asking me some very awkward questions. Like, how desperate are you to be with me? How desperate am I to be with Jesus? And how desperate am I to help other people get to Jesus? Tough questions, right? They've been eating away at me all week. <laughs> 
and you're welcome. Now they can eat away at you. <laughs> this is what community is all about. <laughs> Serious question. It's pretty easy to get up in the morning and just go, I've got so many things to do that Jesus, I just take Jesus for granted. See, I need healing and restoration every day. Restoration is not an end point. Restoration is the start of a long process. Because even though when we first come to Jesus, Jesus says, your sins have been forgiven and he gives us life eternal, it's still a process to get the darkness out of our soul. So don't let anyone tell you that when you come to Jesus, everything is merry after that. It is. But there's, we get restored to our former glory, but then there's more and more and more and more. That's what eternity is about. More and more love, more and more joy. More. This is what we're going after, is it not? So don't let anyone t- think, you know, don't get afraid and think, oh, I could lose my place with Jesus. You never lose your place with Jesus. But it's about more. Yeah. It's about more light. This is why people were amazed. We've never seen a restored life. We've never seen anything like this. And they praise God. They didn't praise the man himself. They praise God because he could reverse it and fill this guy with wonderful things. Question I've, I've, I've asked, and more questions, right? So if I'm, so if I'm not desperate, what, what obstacles are there in the way that's stopping me from, from being the more of Jesus that I want to be and from being the person who's helping people to get closer to Jesus? Well, to be quite honest, I think it's become quite awkward to talk about sin, hasn't it? Do you find yourself feeling uncomfortable? We don't like talking about sin and neither do the people around us. No one wants to hear about sin. No one wants to hear about shame. It's not as obvious. See, it might have been really difficult to live 2,000 years ago. Now it's much easier to live, but I think it's harder to talk about real stuff. Like the brokenness that we all experience. There are too many ways to hide it now. How do we talk about sin and shame? I'm surrounded by people who are happy but they don't have a lot of hope because they simply don't see the need for Jesus, a kind of Jesus restoration. And that's on me. See, I want to live an amazing life so that people go, I've never seen anything like that. Where did that come from? It comes from Jesus. Are you with me? So what steps might I need to take uh, to help people that I love and care about get to Jesus? How can I be like these four determined friends that walked their paralysed friend up on the roof and down? These steps are not in any particular order. Number one thing, though the number one thing I think is this. Jesus is always in town. Jesus is always in town. He's always looking for people to restore. It's pretty good news, right? I had an experience just recently where I was with someone who I love who is not following Jesus and I often think, oh, look, you know what I mean? And I was so surprised to hear this friend talking about something um, where they'd had an experience of um, actually, actually been through a training course in a church and I went, oh my goodness, there is so much Jesus in her heart that I didn't know was already there. It's because I couldn't see it. And it was in that moment that Jesus showed me, don't worry, I'm here, I'm in town and I'm working. 
Your job is to reflect my glory and to keep praying and loving well. We're part, like Jesus is partnering with us, is he not? Yes. We're not doing this on our own. Jesus is always in town and he's always looking for people to restore. That's pretty encouraging. But the second thing is this. This is probably one of the things that got to me the most this week. So I imagined myself in the story, I thought, how desperate am I to be with Jesus? Really rests on another question. Am I prepared to let Jesus take the roof off my life? How prepared am I to let Jesus take the roof off my life? Because while I'm secure in Jesus, he has my life and I've been set free, there's still lots of little bits of darkness in there. The little secret things that I don't tell anyone about the little pet sins I keep hold of. Things like distractions. We've talked about distractions a number of times today. It's been mentioned. Distractions often become addictions, right? The things we do when we're feeling uncomfortable and they become the things that end up controlling us. We become slaves to those things. That's what sin is. And then we get ashamed about them, so we just keep covering them up more and more. Maybe today Jesus wants to say to you and to me, you know that thing, that dark thing in there? It's time to get it out of the light, right? That thing that's laying there, it's time to go. My friend, your sins are forgiven. Pretty cool, right? But we've got to let Jesus into the roof of our life. The other thing that could be in our soul, my friend talks about, I've got a friend who talks about the suitcase of your soul. Get your suitcase out, he says. Have a look what's in there. You know, I've got, I've got distractions that become addictions. There's damage in there. You know when you get hurt and people upset you or whatever? suitcase full of disappointment in your soul. Like, time to get it out. Jesus says, my friend, get this out. More light, less darkness. Sounds like a good thing to me. And I think the final thing that probably the obstacle that we need to overcome in ourselves is this sense of independence that we have that comes to us from the world in which we live, this culture. I'm I'm doing pretty well, Jesus. I actually don't need you to heal me today. How can we call others to be healed in Jesus' name, to get more life than they could ever possibly imagine if we're holding Jesus back ourselves. That's not an amazing life. That's a managed life. I think we want to live amazing lives here, don't we, as followers of Jesus? I don't want to live a managed life. I get tired managing my own life. So step one, so another step is living the kind of life that points towards Jesus. Another thing I've, I've realised this week is I just need to get braver and talk about Jesus more. See, Jesus went about teaching and talking about the the best life that you could ever imagine, kingdom life, the kingdom of God has come. Walk in the light. Jesus talked a lot. Do you find yourself feeling embarrassed and ashamed or scared about talking about Jesus? Because it is so hard to talk about Jesus now, let's be real. This is why we need each other to encourage one another and say, come on, you know, we've got the best news around. Why are we so silent? Maybe that's something in your, in your soul and my soul that we need to ask Jesus, say, can you just take that out? Because it's not helping. That's not amazing. How amazing, would it, how amazing is it to get the opportunity to lead other people towards Jesus? And the last thing I want to say is that following Jesus is not a solo life. And this kind of independence thing. See, independence keeps us turned in, in on ourselves. I noticed it the last few weeks um, in this expression, you got this. Have you had anyone tell you that? You got this. 
Someone said it to I've had it about three times recently. And, I've, and it feels so good, doesn't it? Don't worry, you got this. And I'm going, no, I don't. <laughs> and I'm not meant to. But there's so much pressure, isn't it? You got this. If you read the first letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul, who is my hero in how to follow Jesus, he talks about being so full of the life and the light of Jesus that you're amazing, you know, you glow with him. You know, the power and the strength of Jesus. Don't do this on our own. He's like one of the friends holding our friends, taking them up to the roof. Jesus is there with us. But we don't do this in our own energy and strength. When was the last time you opened up your life and, and just asked Jesus, Lord, Give me strength. Fill me with your love. Show me what that's like and then help me to share that out to others. We're made to be overflowers of that stuff, not holding it in. Let me wrap this up. This is a story about a paralysed man from 2,000 years ago, but it's a story about us. It's a story about the human condition. The road to restoration is a journey and not an end point. Let's remember that. There's always work to be done. We shouldn't be ashamed of that, but... But instead be resolved, let's, walk to, let's help each other to walk together in the light and to help others to find Jesus as well. So today is a good day, I think, just to sit some time and maybe ask Jesus to take the roof off and see what happens. And if today you're here and you've never actually asked Jesus what that's even like to be restored, I wonder, I wonder if you'd be brave enough to let Jesus lift the roof off your life. And I wonder what you'd find there. And I hope you will think about that. And we'd love to help you to walk with Jesus. The restoration life starts today, maybe for you. How wonderful would that be? Live an amazing life rather than trying to manage your life on your own. The opportunity to be set free from sin and shame. It's great, is it not? For all of us. There's one other thing that today, today may be a day where healing, you need healing today, real healing. Jesus is always in town. And we often try and manage our sickness on our own. Today there's an invitation to be healed. I have some faith. Has anyone else got some faith today? Jesus can heal. If you'd like to be healed today, there'll be a couple of us down the front and we would love to pray for you and to ask Jesus to heal you. But remember that whatever happens, the deepest need that we all have is to be restored to our former glory and then to go from glory to glory to glory. More of Jesus, more of Jesus. How about I pray for us? Father, today you're perhaps a bit confronted. Some of us are feeling like uh, don't want to go there. Some of us are going, yeah. Some of us are going, I feel a bit tired. Lord, wherever we're feeling, I thank you that you're in town and you're here with us, perfectly with us, and you're always with us. Father, we don't like talking about sin and brokenness but I thank you that you are persistent enough to push through that and say, come on, my friend, I love you. It's time to let that stuff go, to be set free, to be healed and to be full of life 
and light and love and joy and peace and all the goodness that you pour into us. So Jesus, we're asking you to help us to meet with you today, to be willing to let you lift the lid off our lives today. And Lord Jesus, as a people here at Elevate Church, I reckon we want to get serious about sharing your life. Not that we haven't been, but Lord, would you keep speaking to us about how to live as your people in a world where it's really difficult to talk about sin and shame and all these things. Lord, help us to be amazing people who reflect you as the amazing God, full of your glory, so that, Lord, maybe we don't even need to say anything. It's just by the way we live. We carry your presence with us. We carry your light with us. We carry your love, and it just flows out of us. Lord Jesus, we're asking you for this today because we know that you came to restore all people to their former glory. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.